and welcome back, everybody. We've got a fabulous guest today. It is Jordan Gannett. He's the founder and CEO of Playmaker Capital. It is publicly traded, so you are going to want to pay attention to this interview, see if you can pick up any uh, any inside tips that, that, that Jordan uh, lets slip. Uh, it's uh, PMKR. No orange jumpsuits. That's our number one rule of this company. There's no orange jumpsuits, so we're all good. All right. Well, let, let, let's see if I can get some information out of you that that the everyday investor hasn't necessarily gotten so far. But the the uh, ticker symbol is PMKR. Uh, so, Jordan, thanks for joining us. Good to see you again, my old friend. We're longtime Good to friends. See you, from, Jim. From, thanks from, for having me from from the gaming industry. So, tell everybody about Playmaker Capital. Yeah, thanks. Uh, Playmaker Capital is a business that we started in January 2021, uh, and it is a business that lives at the intersection of sports, gambling, media, and technology. And what we did is we set out to look at the emerging sports betting markets and regulated sports betting markets from the top of Canada to the bottom of Argentina. And what we did is build a business based on acquisitions where we've acquired 15 companies in the last 20 months. We've stitched them together with deep integrations and we've built what is now the seventh largest digital sports media across that entire region and the number one digital sports media business in Latin America. Our focus is in these emerging markets, so countries like Canada with newly regulating markets, Ontario being an example, the U.S., states now, you've got over 30 states now that have some form of regulated sports betting and iGaming, Mexico, 120 million people, Brazil, 200 million people, Argentina, 40 million people, large, large countries in these regions, which are all emerging as newly regulated markets and somewhere where we know that sports betting operators covet sports fans. We know sports fans are the most coveted demographic for a whole bunch of other tier one advertisers, your Nikes, your Adidas, your Gatorades, your Coca-Colas of the world. And we build this at scale. We build this audience at scale. We deliver, uh, we deliver over 100 million, we have about 100 million uh, unique users coming to our properties each month. We deliver over 3 billion ad impressions each and every year. Uh, in Brazil alone, we had one website that delivered over a billion sessions last year. So large numbers, large audience of these coveted sports fans that we want to deliver at scale to anybody who is looking for sports, uh, who is looking for sports fans, mainly in these emerging market sports betting operators. Yeah. And I think an element of your business that a lot of people aren't even aware exists is deals with sports betting companies to help deliver to them players. Right. I mean, everybody sees the ads out there and these big sports betting companies are just killing each other, trying to get new players. And it's all about cost of acquiring a new player. And part of your strategy, correct me if I'm wrong, is to deliver to these guys through affiliate deals, new players that you'll actually receive some type of commission on. Yeah. Affiliate's an important part of the sports betting industry. When you take a look at a more mature market like Europe and the UK, affiliate still represents 10 to 15% of all marketing spend. So this is the ability for a media company to go out and find sports betting fans, sports betting potential customers, and deliver them to sports betting operators on one of three different models. There is a traditional sort of straight advertising model where a sports betting operator will just buy, call them spots and dots on websites, and they'll just pay for a CPM cost per thousand. There's deals where they will pay a CPA, a cost per acquisition, which is just a single fee that you would get for delivering a first-time depositor and sports better to a sports betting operator. 
or a revenue share where you'll have a lifetime revenue share for a particular customer who has uh, who has activated through one of your uh, through one of your websites uh, with with that sports betting operator. You know, we we built our business a lot differently than other affiliate operators in the space have done. We really built a media business. What a, what most affiliate operators set out to do is they go and they generate they generate a bunch of URLs and websites and social properties, and they build up audiences on those social properties. But really, what they're focusing on is quality traffic that is going using SEO and other uh, and other tools in order to drive very specific audiences not necessarily large audiences but very specific audiences to these particular websites and deliver them from those websites or social channels to sports betting operators we came at it the other way and we said every sports fan does a whole bunch of stuff they buy hats they buy mats they buy rugs if you put a packers logo on it and someone's a packers fan they're going to buy something we said if sports fans want to buy everything, then why are we focused just on sports betting as one vehicle? There's actually a sports fan and there's a whole bunch of activity that sports fans do and you can generate revenue either from advertising or from affiliate. So we went out and bought audience and created audience and grown audience. From there, we can deliver revenue in a whole bunch of different ways. We have straight programmatic revenue, which is basically spots and dots, and then you get direct campaigns. And as you move up the average revenue you can generate per user, the top of the food chain is affiliate. It's where you're going to get the highest value for an individual sports fan. So that affiliate revenue really is, call it, we call it the tip of our spear in terms of how we generate uh, revenue from, uh, from that particular field. But there's a lot of focus on sports betting operators. We also, deliver, we also generate revenue from, uh, from streaming companies. So Fubo TV, Disney Plus, uh, Sling TV, Paramount Plus. We have affiliate arrangements with them as well. They all want the same thing. They want a sports fan who's going to become a consumer to them. Right now, they're just a customer. They come in, they make a bet, they leave. But they want a consumer. They want loyalty. They want to be able to build a relationship with that particular user by coming to our sites where people come to our sites often. They're always reading updated new material. We're delivering over 1,500 to 2,000 fresh pieces of content each and every day. We drive them back. They get that loyalty. They see these sports betting operators and other products uh, often on our websites. And ultimately, we drive them to sports betting operators who will pay us either a CPA cost per thousand, sorry, a CPA a cost per acquisition, a CPM cost per thousand, or lifetime values. And this affiliate arrangement has become such a big deal that, <clears> in <throat> fact, you have to actually get a license in many states to be an affiliate, correct? Mm-hmm. There, yeah, there's there's states that uh, there's you know three three types of states out there. There's states where are very liberal, where they will just uh, you, you don't need to get any sort of license whatsoever. So you're just an advertising company. You're just going to take it. There are states where you're required to get a marketing license, and a marketing um, simple marketing license would be would allow you to get a cost per th- a cost per acquisition. So a, a what I would call a CPA, a single fee in order to deliver a sports betting fan to an operator. If you want a revenue share, there are several states that will require you to get a full license. So an example in the state of in the state of New Jersey, if you want to get a revenue share, you need a much higher bar of licensure in order to get there because the the DOJ, the DGE will assume that and correctly they assume that you are now generating revenue from sports betting from the outcome of events and if that is something you're doing then the way that they have interpreted that is you'd need to have a uh, a more strict license for it 
In Ontario, you don't need any license to do any of that. And in some states in the U.S., you don't need any license for that. So I think that's the most interesting arrangement out there where you continue to receive a revenue stream indefinitely from a player that you referred over to one of the sports betting sites. So as they reload their account, you guys are getting a percentage every time they reload. Is that essentially how it works? Uh, you're you're getting of the value of the player. So a value of a player is calculated by wins minus uh, wins minus losses or losses minus wins. Uh, so you, you're getting a percentage of the revenue that a sports betting operator generates. Revenue is sort of what is left over from paying out winnings. Gotcha. So they have to track all the players and where the players came from and exactly how they've been doing and then know to cut you guys a check every month. Uh, yeah month or quarter, depending on the arrangement you have. And, and are all of the sports betting companies doing these arrangements? So in in, in the European market, it's very common. I mean, this, this is uh, tried, tested, true. Can, Canada and the US are very, very new. You know, we're, we're, in the, we're in the top of the second inning here. Uh, and in the European market, you've got companies, uh, you know, big publicly traded companies in the European market, like Katina Media, like Better Collective. You know, those are, those are businesses that have long history in the space, and they have uh, they have a a much more mature market where revenue shares are very very common. Uh, in the North America market, it's a little different. Uh, I think the the sports betting operators themselves are trying to figure out what the value is of a player. Uh, so sometimes it's better just to to for them to just to cut you a one time check than it is to estimate what the value of a potential player could be and decide what. Uh, what they're supposed to be paying you as a percentage. I think eventually as the market begins to mature, you'll see much more of a uh, much more of a split going to between uh, acquisition cost versus uh, a lifetime value. It, right now, it's very, very skewed towards uh, single acquisition cost. And, and do you have to disclose to the player that, <coughs> hey, just so you know, player, whenever you lose, we're giving a share of what you lost to uh, those guys over there at Playmaker Capital? No, no, you wouldn't have to disclose that. That again, you, you have you have privacy rules against uh, all of that sort of stuff. So no, you would not have to. You wouldn't disclose that. You you'd you'd be if you if you think every player has got on average over two accounts. Um, that's a lot of information that you'd be passing back and forth to a lot of different people. And, and there's you know, no, not sure that there's a value that the industry has ever seen. I've never seen that done anywhere. Right. So, when, so when a player goes from your site and then signs up with a, a sports betting site, they don't necessarily know or they're not thinking about the fact that, oh, the site that just referred me is making some money off of me. No, I don't think, I think you'll, you'll find in any form of advertising, you see, I'm just, just think of this as any other form of advertising on the internet, any other form of affiliate revenue, fanatics, as an example, is an affiliate model. You go onto a website, you see an ad to buy a shirt, a Paul Coffee jersey, you click on it, and uh, next thing you know, you're in Fanatics, you buy the jersey. Whoever referred you from that site got paid mm-hmm. to, to do that. But that's the model, right? The, the companies like a Fanatics would not have paid to advertise. The model is we will pay you a fee if that person does convert into a sale. Pretty much every single time you open up Instagram, you're going to see someone trying to get you to sign up to an app, whether that's a workout app, a diet app, or buy some clothing. When you're clicking through all of those different things, eventually, if you make a transaction uh, at some point in the future, in a deemed amount of time, the person who posted that on your on behalf of the operator or the retailer will get paid. And give us a glimpse into what these sports betting companies are dealing with right now when it comes to acquiring 
players because you're hearing about it being very expensive, perhaps too expensive, or they're spending too much money trying to acquire players. Um, I'm hearing stories about, you know, you're in a bar in Tempe, Arizona, and they're paying hot girls to go around uh, table to table and sign up players. The player gets a huge bonus if they sign up. The girl gets a huge bonus for signing you up. I mean, you know, the, 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 the costs seem pretty high as far as what they're willing to spend these days to acquire a player. I can't speak to what's going on in Tempe, Arizona, because right now I'm looking outside of my window in Toronto and uh, it's a lot colder than what it is in Tempe, Arizona. Uh, but may- maybe, maybe say- in some of those bars, it's probably a little warmer. <laughs> uh, what, what I would say is that if you think about what it costs to build a brand in the U.S., so let's take uh, FanDuel and DraftKings, right? the two biggest brands in sports betting in the U.S. FanDuel and DraftKings each spent a billion dollars as fantasy sports companies building a brand. And people don't necessarily think about that when they talk about the power of what those brands have been able to create in terms of just truly unaware, un, unabated or, or sort of unprompted awareness uh, in the marketplace. So what does it cost to acquire a customer? What does it cost to get some someone's loyalty? You know, the U.S. is a very, very expensive media market. Uh, and I think the certainly the cost of acquisition that is out there is high. There's no question. And you see right now there's been a pullback. You see Caesar, Caesar's has, uh, has certainly pulled back from where they were in the, in the New York market is one example. And you hear about the sports betting operators. DraftKings just put out their results in the last week. They're talking about profitability, the path to profitability, because the market has changed. The market doesn't want to see spending for the sake of spending. What they want to see is businesses that have a sustainable business model. Uh, you've had some companies step out of the industry, Twin Spires, who were Churchill. They, they came into the industry and they said, this is just not going to work for us. And they have a very focused business model on profitability. So I think the market, the market of buying for the sake of buying players will continue to shift and get down to a more normalized level. But it doesn't go away, right? If you think about it, somebody turns 18, 19, or 21 each and every day. So a sports betting fan is born every single day of the week, every single hour of every single day. So they always need to be in the market to acquire new players. And it's just a question of at what point does that begin to go from uh, a new state opening where when a new state opens, there is a massive push to get as many new fans into that website as quickly as possible. And then from there, it begins to peter off and get into what I would call just steady state. And that steady state in Europe, as I said earlier, is 10 to 15% of the marketing budget. What's it gonna be in Canada and the US and in Brazil and Argentina and in Colombia and in Mexico? It's to be seen. These are newly regulated markets that have not had this activity in the regulated in the regulated uh, environment as, uh, as it's had in the gray environment before. Yeah, well, you're making me love the space that you're in because these guys are spending tons of money to get players and you're basically there with on the one hand ready to deliver the player and on the other hand with your hand out saying pay me <laughs> and there's a lot of there's a lot of dollars out there listen when i when i started playmaker I, I, as you know i've been in the gambling industry since 2003 so uh, i mean th- this was not my first rodeo and when i got into this industry this is sort of 2000 and uh, you know it's summer of 2000 we're in the middle of covid uh, i was with just before this i was with stars group uh, and fox bet and Stars got bought by Flutter. Uh, I, I was I was happy to uh, to leave and put my feet on my desk. And a friend of mine called me and said, "Hey, would you like to take over our sport tech fund?" And I said, "No, I don't do funds." 
But if you want to go try something in the sports betting industry, let me uh, give it some thought. And over the course of that summer, we gave a lot of thought to this newly regulating market. And what, what you really look at is at the top of the food chain are sports betting operators, right? They are the retailers. At the bottom are the platform providers, just basic, simple technology that is, uh, or complicated technology that sits on the bottom that everything stacks on top of. But in between those two groups is all of the service providers, geolocation services, KYC services, AML services, games providers, payment processors. And the more I looked at this and the more of our, we started coalescing around what is it that we want to do, I go back to my days, and you would know this from your days in the machine business, you know, a slot machine is a fancy piece of furniture with a bunch of lights on it until someone puts 20 bucks in it. And then it turns into a slot machine. Well, a sports betting technology, a sports betting operator is just a marketing company until someone places a bet. And that someone is a sports fan. And so we went at it and said, why are we bothering to be an operator, top of the food chain, or a platform provider, you know, just a toll road. I know that I can feed the beast. And the sports fan area, when you're feeding the beast with sports fans, which is the one thing it needs more than anything, you're in the immediately profitable part of that ecosystem. Can't live without us. You can't run a sports betting business without a sports fan. And so if we, we set out on a model to build the largest audience of sports fans, a very homogeneous audience, if someone comes to any one of our websites, you know full well that it is a sports fan. If you listen to one of our podcasts, we've got over 20 podcasts. They are all about sports. If you go to any one of our social channels, we have over 175 million social followers on all of our different platforms. You know full well that they are sports fans. So if you're looking for a sports fan, this is somewhere to come. And we know that now that we've aggregated them, we can deliver them at scale to operators, which is what they're looking for. Very cool. All right, we got to take our break, uh, and then I'm going to give you a free, free tip for you, for your company. It's it's one word. It's called pickleball. Pickleball. We'll talk about that after the break. (laughs) Major League Pickleball. (laughs) Greetings from Evergreen Podcasts. We're rolling out a listener survey, and we want to hear from you. The information in the survey will help us gather statistics and in turn make our shows more appealing to advertisers. I know most people don't like ads, but this is one of the only ways our shows make money and help keep their lights on. We promise it will only take a few minutes, but the impact on our podcasts will be tremendous. As a token of our appreciation, we'll randomly select one lucky participant each month to win an exclusive merchandise package from Evergreen Podcasts. Head to evergreenpodcast.com slash listener survey to help a show and possibly get some free stuff for doing so. We can't thank you enough for the support. Now back to the show. Travis Carmichael, the seemingly social financier who successfully left behind a blue-collar Baltimore upbringing by transforming himself into an elite hedge fund manager branded with a sterling reputation for creating enviable profit machines for many of the world's most powerful people. His success proved costly as he became incessantly vulnerable after a series of careless mistakes and poor decisions originated from his love affair with the brilliant and stunningly beautiful Russian operative Naomi Knight. Through a roller coaster journey, journey of greed, mystery, sex, and murder, Travis and Naomi's metamorphosis, from scorching Wall Street couple to unrecoverable bliss, is forever locked for posterity as one of New York City's most interesting tales. 
Coming to you from former Wall Street hedge fund executive and frequent contributor on CNBC, Fox News, Bloomberg, and CNN, I, Todd Schoenberger, feature a historical novel inspired by true events, including but not limited to those who possess impenetrable dreams of Manhattan wealth and the consuming lifestyle it perpetuates. Please pick up your copy of No Lie Lives Forever, available on Amazon and finer bookstores near you. Hi, my name is Sarah, and I want to tell you about my podcast called Can I Offer You Some Feedback? I'm a business consultant and executive coach with over 20 years experience in change management, leadership development, and naturally providing feedback to high performers. My podcast is for those of you who have a complicated relationship with feedback, whether giving, receiving, avoiding, or seeking. Feedback is essential for our development. In each episode, you'll hear from real people across industries with their ideas, perspectives, and best practices on feedback. I'll also be sharing business bites with you, simple explanations of organizational tools, management techniques, and leadership philosophies that will help you and your businesses thrive. You can listen to Can I Offer You Some Feedback on your favorite podcast app or learn more at evergreenpodcasts.com. And we are back with Jordan Ganat, founder and CEO of Playmaker Capital. Um, before the break, I mentioned one word, and that is pickleball. The reason I mentioned pickleball is, you know, sports are expanding. Uh, televised sports is expanding. Uh, what might be the next, you know, esports is a new thing. I'm, I'm curious how much you guys are, 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 keep, are paying attention to some of these up-and-coming sports as opposed to the traditional ones. Yeah, it's a great question. So, I'll, I'll take a sport that's not so up and coming, but certainly what we would call green space, uh, soccer, you know, proper football, not American football. If you look at the look at the Canadian and the U.S. market, it's complete green space. Nobody has taken an ownership of this, of what is the most popular sport in the entire world. Fox, ESPN, corner of their desk. And right? it is something they aren't paying attention to all day long. Something that we excel in very much. And so we we bought an we bought a property in the summer of 2022 called World Soccer Talk, and we took World Soccer Talk, which was a very small, uh, very small website based out of uh, out of Florida. Worked with uh, the gentleman who runs that site called uh, Chris uh, uh, called uh, Chris uh, Harrison. Chris is an amazing, amazing uh, writer. He does a podcast and has an incredible, incredible set of knowledge around it. He's a Brit who uh, he speaks he speaks fluent. Football. We took that site from its viewership to of about three hundred to five hundred thousand sessions per month, up to two million. And we did that by really focusing on the content. World Cup was a huge, huge instigator for that for us. In the Canadian market, we had bought an asset called the 90th Minute. We added more content to it. We added a podcast to it, and it's become a very valuable piece of content for anyone who's interested in the soccer market in North America. So, absolutely, we're trying to find. Uh, places where we can find a wedge and break through it. The you know, there's lots of people who write about NFL, lots of writing about NBA, lots of writing about Major League Baseball. In the Canadian market, hockey is something that is obviously the, the the number one sport here in Canada, and it is something where you've got two major broadcasters, Bell and Rogers, and we have set out to be the challenger brand. We want to be the largest independent voice of hockey in the Canadian market. But in the US market, there isn't anyone really focused 
on hockey. Again, corner your desk for certain uh, certain sports companies. Daily Faceoff, which is our uh, our national brand. We have a lot of fan sites. We have Oilers Nation, the Leafs Nation, uh, Canucks Army, Flames Nation. Those are just very particular team sites. But Daily Faceoff is anything and everything you want to know about hockey. Uh, and it's run by uh, Frank Saravalli, who is one of the top hockey pundits in North America. That audience is now over 30% U.S. So huge push for us to bring that sport into the U.S. market. You take a look at something like uh, pickleball. Pickleball, if there is enough audience for it, if there's enough people interested in it, absolutely it becomes something that we talk about. But you need to think about scale, right? When you're when you're in the space of writing about media, you need to have a lot of content to write about. And you know, when you take a look at emerging products and emerging products like pickleball, uh, I mean, it's going to take a while before there's personalities attached to it and there's statistics and there's information that is going to be worth consistently writing about and creating enough, uh, enough fandom about. The one thing we do is we have a site, our U.S. site Yard Barker is very much about delivering all sports to everybody all the time. And what we call the content is really water cooler smart. It's short form content that gives you in 45 seconds enough information to make you smart about the topic of the day, to sit around with your friends, talk at the office, and, and know, what, know how to be relevant in a conversation. We have a newsletter that goes out to over 400,000 people each and every morning called The Morning Bark. And on The Morning Bark, you can select all bunch of different sports. We have over 300 syndication partners who syndicate their content into Yard Barker that we ingest. So if you want to follow Sailing Grand Prix, you can go on to Morning Bark. You'll click, I want every morning, I want to know the most important thing about sailing, the most important thing about the XFL, the most important thing about track and field and swimming. So we've curated the ability to ingest all of that until such time that it's actually a topic that you can then write about because there's enough constant uh, constant happenings about that particular sport. Are there statistics out there as to what percentage of football fans bet on games or have a desire to bet on games versus baseball fans versus hockey fans, et cetera? I don't know if it's a, the statistic per se. I know that uh, in in Nevada, and this is going back a little bit, so uh, NFL, NFL rules supreme. So let's just start with that. NFL is the number one bet on sport in the U.S. It's, it's monster. And, and, but football as a category, because I I don't remember seeing NFL and, and college split out. But football as a category is uh, over 40% was the last numbers I saw at Las and, Vegas. And, and, so and, by, and by the way, big I, number. And by the way, what is it about football that makes it the number one betting sport, do you think? Yeah, they listen, they 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 stole a day of the week from from God. I mean, that's uh, like they took they took Sunday, right? So I mean, uh, what is what does it happen? So I think the, the NFL has uh, has been a product that for years and years has had enough interesting interactions and enough interesting t- statistics in it and enough drama in a sport like that that has made it a darling for a darling for betting whether before this was even legal i mean this has been the number one bet on sport in uh, in the u.s for years and years and years and it's in part it's because of just the ability to have all of the activity on one day mm-hmm. now it's spread out over a few days but it's concentrated there's a whole week of lead up to it a whole bunch of information that gets sent out to you over the course of a week and then you have your ability to bet and you can spend an entire day watching how all that happens so the, the drama that an individual gets around the nfl is quite unique if you think of 
hockey, basketball, baseball, the other three major sports uh, in the U.S. So baseball is 162 games. It's a lot of, there's a lot of content, there, a lot of games. And are you going to get as excited about one game versus the next game? Different. It's not a day. It's every single day. Uh, hockey and basketball, the cadence is just, it's continuous cadence that is going on. You don't have five games to bet on every single night to bet on in football it is all uh, it is all contained and now with the advent of in-game betting or prop betting and novelty betting that goes on you get a lot more excitement out of that three-hour window of an nfl game it's not just about who win or who's won or lost it's not just about the over under it's not just about the point spread it's about the quarter who's winning after a particular quarter what is the what is the proposition bet of you know is patrick Mahomes going to get two touchdowns or one touchdown is Travis Kelsey going to get three touchdowns or two touchdowns all of that plays into the novelty of how much engagement you can get in a particular in a particular game and NFL has all of those moments in time and it has enough pauses in the game for you to absorb the information and react basketball moves very fast paced you can't bet on every point in basketball you can't bet on every shot in hockey uh, so they're just missing some of those uh, what i would call sort of in-game moments that are available in every single NFL game yeah yeah the nice thing about football is you can bet football and not feel like you have a gambling problem because it's it's once a week you start betting baseball yeah. <laughs> you're you're gambling every single day so, <laughs> so so football is the clear head and shoulders above every other sport when it comes to the the, the gambling dollar what sport do you see that might be a, an upcoming sport that might start garnering more attention and more more betters I think basketball basketball is number two um, ba- basketball has got uh, has got a lot of personality attached to it so you know in the case of the what's the casual sports fan going to want to do versus sort of a, a heavy punter, someone who's a, a, a big, a big better, you know, basketball again, has a lot of that drama that comes onto it over under is, is a big one. You know, what, what's the total, total point uh, over under on total points. Uh, the spread is huge. You know, in a basketball game, it could be a blowout, but you know, blowout means that you really, do you really want them to try hard in the last, you know, they're up by 15 points. Are they just going to dribble out? I need you to score one more shot. How important is that free throw? There is a lot of drama that happens in that last segment of a basketball game that uh, that is meaningful to a sports better. So I think that you know, basketball is 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 the number two in the market. Baseball is big just because of quantity, right? There's just so much baseball uh, that uh, that goes out there. And, and in in Canada, hockey is a much bigger player. You know, it's an over ten percent of the market. In the U.S., it's less than five percent of the market. Uh, for, and, for and total how do you handle ass- in sports betting. How do you assess hockey from a better standpoint as far as being a, a, an, an enjoyable game to, to bet on? It, you know, in, in Canada, it's like basketball, right? It, there's lots of drama that can go on in a hockey game as well. You know, you're, you got, uh, you, if, if you're playing, if you're playing uh, total, total number of goals on an over under and it's a, and then the number is five and a team is up three to one and you've got, and you've got by, you've got the under, well, you don't want somebody to pull the goalie on the other side because all of a sudden, you know, there's an easy goal that gets it's in there. So how, you know, same as basketball, how important is that pulling goalie? Don't pull the goalie. I need you not to score a goal. You know, that, that drama plays into it for, uh, for a fan. So the game is not over until the game is over. So I think hockey does lend itself. If you understand the sport and get into the sport, like any other sport, you have to get into it uh, to understand it. So I, I think that uh, in the Canadian market, it's been proven that hockey has got, uh, got a lot of, a lot of following here. And uh, you know, you've got to say it's, it's a big, it's a bigger part of the, of the overall betting percentage. Um, listen, soccer is still number one in the world. Uh, it's, it's, it's massive, you know, in, uh, in, in Latin America, it's basically, that's it. Like you, you bet on, you bet on soccer is number one. Uh, and then, 
you know, depending on the country you're in, it's basketball. NFL football is big in Mexico. Uh, it's the number two sport. Uh, and in Latin America, beyond Mexico, basketball, NBA is the number two, the number two sport. Give, give me, your, you were talking about soccer and that's one of your properties. G- give me your assessment of where soccer stands in America right now. I mean, it's the first sport that every kid plays now. Uh, it's one, definitely probably the most popular sport for, for kids. Um, it definitely has grown this, you know, the league was it MS. What's the name of the, league? is it MLS? MSL? Yeah. Major yeah. League Soccer, yeah. Yeah, um, certainly seems to be doing well, but it's still, what, a distant, it's in it's in fifth place and pretty distant fifth place? Uh, it's growing. It's it's a growing, and, and you're, you're spot on. It's a growing sport because of accessibility, right? Soccer is the most accessible sport for, for anybody. Every kid plays soccer when they're, when they're younger. Um, but what's happening now is if you think about basketball back in the, you know, the 70s and 80s, it took superstars. It took it took talent in today's environment. It takes personality. So you had Bird and Magic. Bird and Magic, you had, you had Julius Erwin, and then Bird and Magic came, and all of a sudden the NBA began to take off. And then 1984, you get Michael Jordan comes in, and the NBA starts going crazy, and it's recognizing the power of a brand and a person. Major League Soccer had David Beckham. So David Beckham came in to LA Galaxy years and years ago, and Major League Soccer got a little bit of a boost. What's going to happen now when some of these really well-known personalities in soccer begin to come over in the later parts of their career, but come over to major league to major league soccer. And there's talk about Messi coming to uh, inter Miami is one of the discussions that uh, you hear about. Uh, if you read any of our websites, you read a lot more about that than others uh, in particular, given that he's Argentinian. And uh, so I think that, uh, I think that you'll, I think you'll see major league soccer and soccer in general continue to grow. I do believe that World Cup 2026 will be the single largest global event in sports in the history of the modern era. Nothing will be bigger than this. You're going to have Canada, the U.S., and Mexico. All through to the time zones are perfect because Europeans don't care what time they're watching sports. They're going to be up till all hours of the night to watch it. Qatar was a major success from a viewership perspective. They got the times right for people to watch it. And you look at the engagement, the number of people that engaged in that uh, was amazing. And you know, by all accounts, the finals was probably one of the greatest games ever played. It had everything you could have wanted in it with, you know, the hero winning at the end of the day. You know, the greatest player of all time turns and turns out to be the winner of, uh, of the World Cup, something he's coveted his whole life. Take that drama and watch that continue. So Major League Soccer is starting this summer with something called the League's Cup. It's going to be uh, its version of Champions League. So basically, Liga Mex, the Mexican League. And uh, Major League Soccer are going to both shut down for a month and they're going to play a tournament with each other. That's very, very big for soccer fans. They love seeing this type of interleague and tournament play. Very, very popular in Europe. It's, you know, you've got uh, Common Ball, which is the federation down in Latin America, does something similar. similar. And then you've got in 2024, you're going to have Euros are back on. Uh, You're going to have Copa America coming back on. 2025, there's a pre-World Cup event that's going to be happening in Canada, U.S., Mexico, and then, of course, World Cup 2026. So I think there's a lot of momentum behind, uh, behind soccer. What they need is viewership. They need people to get more engaged in the game. There's talks about how to improve it. Do you take Major League Soccer and set up a relegation system like you have in Europe where every game matters, even at the bottom of the table? You know, right now, all people look about, oh, are you going to make the playoffs in European and in particular in the Premier League in, uh, in, in the U.K.? Not only do you care about who's going to win, 
you're always focused on who's on the bottom because those bottom those bottom guys are going to be relegated to the EFL from the EPL. And in the EFL, it's not just winning, it's getting promoted. And so there's talks about how do you create that dynamic in the uh, in the North American, whether Major League Soccer adopts it or not, there's there's a lot of things that they can do to do it, to, to make it um, to make it even better. And now with their new TV deal with Apple, they're making the product incredibly accessible to not just the television audience in North America, but Apple's a global is a global uh, relationship that they've created, which I think uh, bodes well for them uh, if it takes off. One thing I've always been curious about is whether in Europe, <laughs> where there's been sports gambling going on far longer than in the US, right? It's a very robust market, very mature market. Um, do the teams there benefit directly from any of the sports betting? In other words, do the sports betting companies have to pay any type of license fee to any of the leagues out there that you're aware of? No, that was a pretty North American phenomenon. Uh, you know, Wait, North American end up leagues happening do, though, right? do a lot but, of, yeah, no surprise that North American leagues do things, uh, do things uh, very, very commercially. Yeah, uh, yeah no, the leagues they, here the went they from, get, they went from opposing no way we never want gambling in the sport you, you know it's going to uh affect but the integrity of the sport pay to, to, <laughs> to pay me and suddenly the integrity is fine but the reason i ask is is that you know european soccer players by far have the, the highest salaries of any athletes i think in the world they're, they're they're bigger believe it or not than u.s salaries normally u.s salaries are higher than anywhere in the world but but european soccer players make the most and i just my theory there was like gee Maybe somehow all this sports betting that's happening out there is the, in Europe is the reason why there's so much more revenue and they're able to pay the players more. Yeah, no, it's not. It's not coming from sports betting. Uh, it's not coming from sports betting uh, direct revenue. They sponsor, so you'll go into any any stadium, you'll see a lot of advertising uh, around that. But it's not. It's not like we see here where you've got. Uh, companies who become what they call uh, ASOs, like uh, authorized authorized sports uh, operator, <laughs> something like that. Yeah. But but yeah, uh, yeah, you, you the uh, the sports betting operators uh, get a designation from the different leagues that allows them to use marks and logos and other stuff, and they pay and they pay them a percentage of uh, either handle or gaming revenue, depending on the leagues. Each league has a different interpretation. I think the I think the push for the leagues to uh, I mean, there's the economic side. The integrity one is. A question of regulation. You know, there were the, the leagues were, and this go back 2015 when Adam Silver penned his op-ed, uh, which is how this whole, um, you know, the the PASPA overturn really got going. You know, the logic wasn't um, the logic was wasn't saying, okay, I, I just want a big piece of this pie. I think the logic was that the world is changing, and you need to really think about how this is going to be adopting. Uh, how, how we're going to adopt and modify the way we think about sports betting, because the more that people do it and the less regulated it is, the more unsavory the characters are who are going to get into it. That's the thesis. And at the end of the day, if you regulate it, then what you have are all the necessary tools in place to one, to make sure that only a certain segment of the population is able to do this, age restricted. From a league's perspective, only certain people who are not associated with the leagues are able to do it. So, you know, referees, people who work in the leagues themselves, people who work for teams are prohibited from participating in this activity. Uh, and that's important for the integrity of the game for sure. And ultimately, it's to make sure that uh, there's responsible gaming tools. And that's the piece that a lot of people aren't really focused on, but one that is hugely, hugely important. And I can't stress that the enough how much of a privilege it is to be in the gambling industry that you've been in, that I've been in, and 
it's an industry with privilege, truly. Like you don't, you don't have the right to be in this industry and a regulator can shut you down as an individual or as a business at any point in time if you cross lines. And responsible gaming is, the, is really the, um, the, 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 the one thing that we need to, as an industry, continue to stay focused on in order to allow ourselves to continue to have the ability to offer this product into the market. No different than if you're selling alcohol or tobacco. There are certain rules that you need to have in place in order to ensure that the product is delivered in a safe manner and that those who are using it understand that the product is uh, what, what the product is and how to use it in a safe manner. Yeah. Legalizing it and regulating it has always made sense to me. The mob is not very happy about that. Uh, first, we took the, first, we took the lottery away from the mob, the numbers games, <laughs> and, and regulated that. And now we're taking sports betting away from them. But I'm, I'm, I'm sure they'll find something else. Jordan, we got to leave it there, my friend. Really appreciate it. It's Playmaker Capital. The symbol is PMKR. And don't forget pickleball, Jordan. Pickleball the future. We're going to have you back on the show in a, in a year. You're going to say you're, you, you were right about that. Uh, Jim, thanks. It's great seeing you again, and uh, good luck with the show, and thanks so much for having me. All right. Thanks again. Take care. I want you to smash that like button. The Jim Stroud Podcast explores the discoveries and trends forming the future of our lives. Brain-to-brain communication, robot bosses, microchip implants for workers, and artificial intelligence replacing human workers are all happening now. If you want to know what's happening next, subscribe now to the Jim Stroud Podcast.